you can help do something about Sean Windsor, which today has over 100,000 victims, and most of them are children from 3 to 13. This devastating sports columnist attacks without warning. There is no pain, no known cause, no known treatment, and no known cure. Even those of you who are not Detroit Free Press readers must realize the heartbreak of standing by in the knowledge that you can't save a child from certain boredom. The only hope that exists for the doomed victims is in constant, painstaking research. Your contributions will make this research possible. Send as much as you possibly can to your ML Soul of Detroit podcast. You answered around your children. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You are qualified, ML. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay. You want to go right now? Hey kids, it's your old pal ML Elric, and we have to start this week with a program note. Sean is not here with us, and a clarification as well. Um, Sean's work doesn't just bore children, it bores people of all ages. So as you know, Sean doesn't like to discriminate. He likes to treat everyone the same, which is what we should all aspire to. So if you or someone you know, a child, uh, a sibling, a, a parent has been bored by Sean's work or somehow just frustrated by the product he puts out on a regular basis, please give generously. Send as much as you can spare to ML Solve Detroit. We are still working on a cure. We have a long way to go, people, but we'll only get there. I can't believe you're picking him. on him while he's uh, ailing. I, is he ailing? I, I think he uses a lot of excuses. I think he's uh, probably... Are you going to demand a doctor's note for him not being here today? Well, I checked his uh, his Instagram feed because obviously he's a, he's a dynamic creature on social media. And he said that he was curry combing his Percheron stallions at his... Um, at Sounds his, like him. His ranch there in Washtenaw County. So uh, I don't know what he told you, but he's telling the world something different. But 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 we wish him well, Such nevertheless. Such a bully. Yeah, we, we wish him well, just the same. Uh, that's Mark Fellhauer here, who's who's uh, picking up the load uh, that Sean usually Ew. carries. So should be no extra effort required there to uh, to fill that gap. And we have a very special show this week. We have a couple guests with us who are talking about human trafficking in Nepal. And you're saying, Nepal, is that like um, past Northville? It's like, no, no, that's like on the other side of the world. But uh, but our guests are Michigan residents, East Siders. And, uh, and I think, uh, Pam, you're from, from uh, Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor, living out yeah. that way. So, so perhaps you can go by Sean's Ranch on the way on the way home, but we're going to be talking about how they got involved in this and also how you can get involved because on Monday, January 30th, uh, they'll be showing a documentary. I will be helping to MC that evening and we're going to have a discussion with some people to delve into this topic because it's a topic that, that affects people everywhere. You may have heard Deb Ellinger on this show before from Eli's house, trying to help pe people get off the streets on the East side this is an international problem. And you may have read a story written by my wife, Teresa Baldus, about a young woman from the suburbs, had every advantage in the world, made some mistakes, finds herself in a hotel, basically the hostage of a, uh, let's just say a manipulative individual rather than getting it into... It was an ex, right? Wasn't it an ex-boyfriend slash drug dealer, or is that cloudy? Yeah, it's I... An amazing I, story. I can't remember whether he uh, introduced her to the, the person who basically kept her hostage or whether they had a relationship that turned into more of a, a dependency issue. 
but this is happening all over the place, and and it it kind of happens the same way. People are disadvantaged. They uh, they need some help, and someone takes advantage of them. It's not just sex. It can be labor. It can be basically the old time indentured servitude, where you're sort of like a sharecropper, where you're working but you never seem to quite pay off that loan. And so Paul Fayed and Pem Sherpa are going to be talking to us about that. Uh, if you have any questions, you can feel free to throw them up on our Facebook Live page, which is ML Elric. Or if you're watching on YouTube, we really appreciate it. If you subscribe, sign up for alerts so you know when we go live. And you can put questions up there, which, uh, which Joe will, will share with us throughout the show. And um, this is all brought to you by David Hall of Hall Financial and Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies. David Hall will help you get the deal on your house or get some money out of your house. Luke will help you use the money you have wisely to invest in your future and to set you up so you have a comfortable retirement so that when you go see David Hall, you'll be looking for an even bigger house to spend the rest of your days in, we hope, gracefully. But more about those gentlemen and the very valuable they ser- services they provide after we talk to Paul and Pam. Guys, thanks. thanks for coming in this morning. Thank you. So, Pam, I know you're not from around these parts. Uh, you got a little more of an accent than than if you were from, say, Chicago. Even, <laughs> Paul, you're you're a guy I know from the East Side, and uh, you're both working together to make things better for people in the Himalayan mountains, right? That's where Nepal is. Yes, yes. Home of the Dalai Lama. Well, the Dalai Lama is in northern India, but not too okay. far away. Okay, but he's. Uh, he, do you guys ever run into the Dalai Lama? Uh, not lately. No. Okay. You say hello, Dolly, when you see if you saw him, or have you worked on some sort of? Is it your eminence or your excellence or holiness? Mr. Holiness. Mr. Lam, your holiness. Okay. Great. What's? Well, I'm going to have to work on that if he shows up on Monday. But uh, but tell us a little bit about about the uh, the program, how you got involved, and and what's going on. Sure. Uh, this goes all the way back to 2015 for me. So I had been trekking and doing a number of hikes throughout the United States and uh, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, out west in the Tetons, uh, in uh, New Mexico, as well as in the northern parts of uh, the Adirondacks, and decided at some point that I needed to get to Everest and the Himalayas and do some real trekking. And that's when I met Pam. Uh, who runs a Himalayan store in Ann Arbor when my, my sons were going there for uh, college at U of M. And my wife spotted the store and said, there's your dream, go inside and sign up. So I did, and we've been uh, partners or friends and trekking companions since uh, 2015. So in the process of trekking, um, it is a not an exact science. You get stuck in a lot of areas because of uh, severe weather, uh, we were stuck in a small village called Namsi Bazaar, just outside of uh, Everest. And uh, I had time to go up to the school and visit with the uh, the kids up at the school and the teachers, as well as an orphanage, and found out uh, this whole issue that's been going on for many, many years uh, regarding human trafficking. And it turns out that PEM, which I did not know at the time, was involved in an organization uh, out of Montana, which was set up with the the people of Nepal, called the Sering Fund. And he introduced me to Sering, the founder, as well as the president, uh, the other co-founder, Peter, who lives in Montana. And I decided to get involved uh, with my family. So in 2017, 
we began uh, sponsoring children from Nepal uh, to go to school because the the foundation of the Searing Fund is built on if children can maintain and get an education, uh, then they have value. And if they have value, then they have less of a chance of being human trafficked. Uh, and this was a particularly uh, clear with girls. So the boys can become trekkers, they could become porters, they could become guides, but the girls were deemed to be invaluable or un, of having no value, and they were sent off, trafficked, or even sold to other villages as a wife to take care of animals or to do farming. So they're sold off by their family? So is this a cultural thing where they just don't value women? So it is part of a cultural thing. I think Pam can explain a little bit more, but uh, historically it was known for uh, certain parts of Nepal to be able to provide for the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, people that ran the country back in the day, um, concubines that would come from certain areas of the northern parts of Nepal because of their beauty or because of their looks. And they were um, given to the emperors or the people that the monarchs that would run the country. And it just became sort of like a cultural issue. Um, and now it's, it's being taken advantage of by people who know this history and go up and tell them, the families, that, hey, there's an opportunity for your daughter to become something better than what they she lie. will ever be. Yeah, they right. lie for money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, basically, you know, the girls are not, sent to school or anything by parents because they think that girls going to get older and they get married and go sent to somebody's house and they are not asset, they are liabilities. And then they, more like a son's or son, they send to school and try to raise them better because they're going to take care of them in the future. Okay. So this is a more like a cultural issue all over the country. And like even uh, 10, 15 years back, no one really sent their girl to school. So girl will be working at home, taking care of animals, cows, all this housework, and then boys are going to school. And that's not unique to Nepal. I mean, we've seen that with Afghanistan. I think most people in this country know that issue there. But is, is trafficking worse in Nepal than, say, other countries, other poor countries in Asia like Bangladesh? I mean, because when people think of trafficking humans, I think the biggest example recently is Qatar and the World Cup. I mean, a lot of people know that story. Right. Is, that all, is that all tied together? Well, it's it's basically India as the biggest country there. The lots of girls are kind of taking out from Nepal. I mean, there are lots of organizations that they're trying to prevent those things. But it's every year maybe there is like thousands of girls that take from Nepal and send them to either India or Africa or some other places, and even like China. If you go there, like some of those dance restaurant or things like that, you have some girls from Nepal dancing there. And they are not educated and they don't know anything, so they take them there, they take their passport out, and they don't release them till they need it. I mean, they can't work or something like that. So if they are educated, I hope they will be able to understand you know, these kind of problems and issues or so. Well, that, yeah. that's just a, a terrible dilemma. If, if you can't read and write... And you end up somewhere. How do you find someone to help you? There's you, you can't even if you can get to a computer. You can't read what's on the computer. If somebody sends you a letter or you see a poster, you don't know what to do. It, it, it seems like without education, 
you're almost uh, you're almost sentencing someone to be a victim or to somehow be uh, manipulated. Yeah, and then now it's even like even these days there are like lots of like this human trafficker. They send a good-looking boys or something into those villages, and they kind of can make a connection with the family, and they go to all these nice, good-looking girls, and they make friends and. Even like they get closer, and then they say, "Oh, we're gonna marry you," and all these things, and they take it. And they build trust. Yeah, they build trust, and they take with them, and they actually sell to, you know, some of the people on a border site or something. And that things happen, like lot. Is the so, government too weak to do anything about it, or is there just no will to well, try and stop it within Nepal and going outside of Nepal? Yeah, government is also working hard, but it's once you have a relationship and then you go with someone else, they don't really they don't. able to stop them unless you know once they lost or then family start complaining, and that time it's almost too late. Too late. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I I think too with yeah. the the way that the country is set up. So if if you if you look at a Google map of Nepal. The majority of the country is in mountainous regions, so the government is very difficult for the government to monitor what is right and wrong, you know, crime and so on and so forth that occurs uh, or trafficking that might occur because some of these villages are the only way you could get to them is 10, 12 hours by jeep or a helicopter or some other way. So it, it makes it a unique country for people to take advantage of these sort of things. And because of the culture in the past was that it was maybe a good thing for girls to become concubines, the people that take advantage of those from other countries know how to utilize that and know how to create value and trust. And I think what we call it here is grooming. They groom them in, in preparation to, to gain their trust, to move them out. And Paul, when you go over there, how often do you go to Nepal and how long do you stay? And I mean, do you get any hiking in or has, has this become something that has really become the mission now? So, yeah, it's a great question. I, I usually go for a month. Uh, I've been going uh, for the past couple of years on an annual basis, uh, four to five weeks. Uh, Pam, through his company, uh, Imperial Expedition, sets up my my tracking and actually takes care of everything uh, because he has people uh, feet on the ground, so to speak. His entire family's involved in in helping and um, not only with the tracking but also with the the work that we do within the fund. So this, I'll give you an example of this past uh, year when I was in Nepal. I was there for almost five weeks. Um, a lot of helicopter trips up to the mountain regions to get up there fast enough to be able to visit with the schools that our girls are going to. We have 400 girls that are attending schools in northern Nepal and in Kathmandu. Um, so visiting each one of the schools, doing a review of the English uh, courses that they're being taught, meeting with the teachers, meeting with the principals, doing evaluations on how well the girls are doing because they have to have education, especially in English, in order to get into pre-college and college courses in Kathmandu. Um, so getting them prepared for that, meeting the girls, making sure that they're okay, um, and then traveling to the next school by helicopter. Um, so probably three of the weeks were, were mainly me working with the orphanage. Um, we've set up some programs at the orphanage for social activities. We got a martial arts instructor that's teaching the kids, uh, martial arts. We've got yeah. started a soccer program. Um, and then making sure that the food that they eat is correct, that they're getting enough meat, 
for and the fund is is a part of all this. The people with the fund are with me. Um, and then Pam usually sets up my reward, which is uh, generally a trek uh, into one of the mountain regions. And uh, we've done treks up to 22,000 feet, 20,000 wow. feet at different peaks. And uh, I spend a lot of time with his family, his brothers and his brother-in-law on these treks. They're all mountaineers, uh, so it's very safe. And uh, it's an opportunity for me to kind of find myself a little bit, too. Well, I want to diverge from there, Pam. How did you, how did you end up in Ann Arbor from, from Nepal? <laughs> Well, it's a good story. I mean, it's like long story. 2005, we climbed, me and my wife climbed Everest, and then we came to Chicago for the first time, and then we went back to Nepal, and then we came to Colorado, and I was a part of the group that hiked from New Mexico to Canada on Connell Divide Trail. We finished that in a four-year project seasonally. And then after that, I was looking for kind of job, but I didn't know it's a part of the recession that time in the country. And I couldn't find a job in Colorado. Yeah, nice timing. Yeah. And then I have a friend in Ann Arbor who started uh, selling things from Nepal on her, her garage. And then she said, well, maybe come to Ann Arbor. We'll open a, you know, the DC story on the main street. And I, I moved here and we opened that. And so far, is I stuck here and then the story is running, so... Because, yeah. you know, obviously I've only seen pictures of Nepal. I've never been there. It looks beautiful. Your family's there. Do you want to go back? I do want to go back, there? and I, I miss, I, I'm really fortunate that I'm able to go back there every year and able to take people like Paul and other people and show them my country. And it's still like I'm thinking maybe, well, maybe when I get retired or something, I want to go back and <laughs> stay there, but my wife and children might not go with me. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might not be so bad. That may, yeah, exactly. That, that may be how you get a peaceful retirement. Yeah. Uh, this, this may be another, uh, another good cause we can support. Uh, so you've climbed to the top of Everest, Pam? I did. I did climb twice, and me and my wife both climbed together in 2005. It's interesting. I mean, we did exchange our wedding vows on top of Everest, so we, you know, we call ourselves as the first couple married on top. Oh, of Oh wow, that's cool. It's, that's a wow. good way to. to I keep have a. The I have a short. Yeah, my good friend from Montana. She's writing a, a kind of a story, you know, based on our climbing. So she's writing a book, so hopefully it'll come out this year. Or now, I, I read about uh, people climbing Everest and that there are people who Traffic jams, climb right? just yeah. to, to clear the trash that's left by the hikers and, that, too, yeah. and to take the bodies from people who don't make it. Do you see things like that and when you human climb? Wa- I mean, human, are there... Isn't human waste a big problem on it, too? Uh, yeah. you, do, you do see a few dead bodies once in a while. It depends on, uh, like, weather. If you lost of snow, they will cover it. If the snow is melted, then they kind of start coming out. God. But nowadays, below 26,000 feet, all of, most of the dead bodies have been clear. So you don't see dead bodies unless they are buried under the curbus or something and they come up. And You're so nonchalant about that. Like, yeah. yeah, that, that sounds to me like climbing. turn back. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I and see a dead body, say, okay. And then trash part, I mean, there are a lot, used to be lots of trash, but it's been cleaning a lot. Like okay. every year there is an expedition group that goes up there and try to clean them. So, and then nowadays they have a re- regulation that you ha- whatever you take there, you have to bring it back. So they, they, they try to bring back everything. So, Paul, have you, have you thought about Everest? Is that on your list or are you, 
You don't want to be the next body. Oh, uh, well, the highs I've gone is uh, Mira, which is uh, just over 21,000 feet. I, I'm at an age right now where uh, an Everest expedition, uh, also with the physical aspects of my body and the number of surgeries I've had, I'm, I'm not going any higher than, than 20,000 feet these days. But um, I've been to Everest. I've been to base camp. We actually took a helicopter up towards Camp 1 and 2. Um, and it's a beautiful area, uh, but uh, higher mountain climbing is not in my future. Now, I, I've heard that if you get above 10,000 feet or 15,000 feet, you're basically dying. That there's a certain point where you can't survive there, and the longer you stay up there, it, what what is that threshold? That sounds kind of scary to me. Uh, 26,000. After 26,000 okay. feet, we call death zone. So there's probably, you, I mean, no matter how long you're gonna stay there, is you're not gonna, your body will not climatize after that. But 15, 16,000 feet is not that bad. I mean. You walk around Nepal and 15, 16,000 feet, you have this two-year kiss walking in front of you. So <laughs> you don't even feel like you're on 15,000 Okay, feet. so th- these guys who complain about playing baseball in Colorado because of the altitude, they, yeah. should, they should do a little training in Nepal then. I, I, yeah, I think so. Okay. And but that, that juxtaposition of, you know, I'm assuming that's the, a major industry for Nepal, right? Everest. It's a huge industry, yeah. And then you have this horrific human trafficking issue because so many people are poor. Um, What country is the biggest violator? Like, where, who takes these humans out of Nepal? Is it India? Because it's right next door, because you mentioned India a little bit. Or, like, and where are these criminals from? Like, what criminal organization is doing this and making a lot of money? Let's, let's, so, so first of all, I'm, you know, I think it would be careful to to not pinpoint any particular country because um, what I do want to say is this: um, it is it is almost every country that you could possibly mention that that is a part of human trafficking, and that that's the issue that we want to bring to the table more than anything else. We have it here in the United States, um, as 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 you were talking about earlier, ML, with with what happens even here locally. Um, but in, in Nepal, a lot of it is done within the, um, the surrounding countries because it's just more convenient. So you have, you know, the, the richest countries in the world. Some of them are Arabic countries. Some of them are rich people from India, uh, from Malaysia, from a number of different areas that are violating and utilizing, you know, young women and young men, um, as a part of this whole human trafficking issue. So, you know, I, I think every country is contributing to the negative effects of human trafficking. Uh, so we really want to be careful with that. Now, these criminal organizations that kind of lead the way, where are they from? They're from those countries. Yeah, they're uh, they're oh, okay. basically local, but they are connected with the other international parties as well. But we, we are open border with the India. We are uh, Our border is really strict with the China, so there is not much happening with the Chinese. But any Nepali people wants to go to China need a visa, and it's hard to get it. But India, you don't need anything. So the, because of the open border with India, that's more things happening toward that area. Mm. Yeah. So think oh. of it this way, too. Think of uh, the average person in Nepal probably makes about uh, 4000 to $5,000 a year um, American, U.S. dollars, Okay. So you have these families that are living in poverty, and they're being offered an opportunity to be able to make uh, significant money compared to four or five thousand dollars a year. 
maybe two, three thousand dollars, three hundred dollars a girl, whatever the case may be. So they're enticed within Nepal to be able to participate in this, uh, feeling that you know I can do something for my family or for me personally, and I don't know these people, so why not why not make that happen? And the value, what we're trying to bring, what what the Syrians Fund does, and what we're trying to do is create a value for these for these people by 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 providing education so the the story of Halambu is a story of one young lady from the Halambu district which is in northern nepal that has survived this her, all, her entire all of her friends from the village were taken so they were all taken away uh and disappeared into other villages or into other countries uh, but her grandmother decided that she didn't want this young girl to be taken. So as you fast forward through the film, there is a principal that lives in this area that created a school that we fund and we're a part of in Malanchigayam, which is a village not that far away in the Helenbu district. And what he did was he saw what was happening and he started bringing girls in. And then he started coming to funds like our fund and saying, can you sponsor these girls? Because if the girls have value, the families aren't going to let them go. They're going to say the future is this young lady is going to become a nurse, going to become a doctor, a lawyer, a, a hotel manager, and be able to support the family for the future. So the, 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 the main theme is that we create an educational system that provides for these young girls who normally would not have this and be devalued to suddenly graduating. This young girl is becoming a nurse, and she wants to build a hospital in a Helenbu district. So it fast-forwards to suddenly there's a value in life and a value for these girls, and then the villages see that, and they send their girls to school. And if they can't afford it, we step in and we provide for that. What does it cost to build a hospital there? So to be I think I mean, seems... pretty close to about a million dollars for uh, like a 16-bed facility. We, we're actually doing Jeez. a study right now. That's, that, that's a million dollars isn't nothing, but I mean... It's not bad. You think about some of the equipment in our American hospital, it's a million dollars for a, an MRI machine or something it, it like that. It seems doable, right? I mean, yeah. it seems like an attainable goal. Yeah. So, so what are folks going to find out on Monday? We're going to show the documentary. Where, where can people go see it and get involved? So this is at the Windmill. It's in Gross Point Park at Windmill Point. There is a theater there. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going, I'm terrible with names, so I'm going to mispronounce a lot of names of the theater. In that. <laughs> You're doing pretty good with those yeah, names from Nepal. Say, I mean, you're going to mess up the, the Fred Jones Theater? Come on, Paul, what's going on? <laughs> Don't sandbag on us now. Olachinsky. Oh, see, you put the pressure on him there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, and I apologize to the family, but it's a beautiful theater. Um, it's right there at Windmill Point in, in Gross Point Park. Uh, my family, by the way, my, my boys right now are laughing at me because they're expecting me to mispronounce a lot of names. Oh, I'm going to be terrible on Monday. I'll just, I, I beg everybody's <laughs> forgiveness right now. <laughs> so, and then the, we're going to walk across. It's a 48 minute film. Uh, bring a lot of Kleenex cause there will be a lot of crying. It's a beautiful story and it ends well, which is, which is the best part of the story. And then we'll go across the yard, so to speak at the park. Um, to the Tompkins Center, 
and uh, we're going to have a, a question and answer period. So Peter will be in, who's the president of the uh, Saring Fund. We were hoping to get the cinematographers in, uh, but it looks like we might not be able to get them here because we've got uh, a couple of other positive things happening. The film was a finalist at the Banff Film Festival. It has now been selected at the London Film Festival and at the Vancouver Film Festival. So they're busy preparing for the airings in London and the airings in Vancouver. Uh, but we'll have a question and answer period. Pem will be there. I'll be there. Peter will be there. And uh, we've got food. Uh, and we have beer and wine and water and coffee and whatever else you need. Uh, and we're hoping that people come and just learn a little bit more and understand what it is that we're trying to do. And this, this is a free event. Uh, the, uh, the parks in Gross Point are restricted to residents, but I imagine if you tell them at the gate that you're there for the documentary, they'll wave you right in. Yes. And uh, Paul and I will be there. Pam will be there. We hope to see you there, too, so we can learn a little bit more about this. And, uh, and as we have in the past, occasionally on this show, talked about the problem of human trafficking, we want to we keep this front and center because they're talking about what's going on in Nepal, but it's really not all that different than what's going on around here and uh, less sophisticated gentlemen than myself who may go to exotic dance clubs may remember when it was the all French Canadian review. Well, I think that's long gone. And a lot of the women that you see at these places are there against their will from all over the, all over the world. So this is a problem that's right in our backyard, but I, I will tell you just having seen the, the trailer for this and we'll, post a link to our website which is mlsoulofdetroit.com the the scenery the visuals are just gorgeous i mean this when i first saw it i was thinking is this is this going to be one of these warren miller ski movies you know the the, the soaring shots and everything and but it is it is a story about somebody who got out and about the difference it can be made. So we don't uh, want to make light of the subject but we also don't want you to feel like this is something well, you can't make a difference, and uh, we encourage you to to follow the link on our website to come out and see us on Monday, and to keep thinking about this because it's a problem all over the world, and uh, it's a problem we got to solve because education does create futures for people, and we don't want to lose any of our loved ones to all the predators out there. I wish Leduff was here because I can't remember what the term is they use in Mexico for the guys who who. Uh, is it wolves or uh, um, coyotes? Coyotes. Okay, I, I was in the dog family. I knew it was some sort of canine who are, are hustling people back and forth across the border down there. So Charlie, Charlie knows about this uh, and talks about this a lot too. So it's it's a problem that's that's right on our doorstep. And, uh, and if you can't make the film, there's got there's a website if people are interested in donating and helping out. It's 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 the Saring Fun. Not the easiest spelling in the world. I'll just say that right now. T-S-E-R-I-N-G-S fund.org. And we will make it easy for you to by link, putting yeah. a link to our website. So Paul Fayed, Pem Sherpa, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'll yeah, see you on Monday. Yes, yeah. So, um, Mark, uh, before we before we uh, get to the next segment, why don't we why don't we pay a couple bills? Sure. Yeah. If you want to make some money that you can then donate to the Searing Fund, why not give Luke Nowacki a call? Luke, uh, he's one of our uh, big financial guys. If you got a big financial decision coming up, like buying a new home or 
a new car or donating to somewhere. You want to know how it's going to affect uh, your current and future financial financial goals. So Luke Nowacki and his team at Pinnacle Wealth Strategies, they can help you plan for all your financial goals, both today and well into the future. Call Luke today, 248-663-4748 for a complimentary consultation to see if your plans align with your goals. Because when you call Luke... He'll make it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. And for those more immediate financial needs, we recommend that you give a, a call to our friend David Hall. Yeah, if you're, if you're carrying debt, Hall Financial, they want to help you become debt-free. So one of the ways you can do that, if you own a home, you can get a cash-out refinance from Hall Financial. It's a great way to use that equity that is in your home to pay off those big credit card um, you know, credit card debt that you racked up over the holidays because you were just so... Oh, the Christmas bills are coming. Exactly. There you go. Get a free five-minute mortgage review with Hall Financial. That's all it's going to take to get you and your family in a better position for 2023. Get the money you need right now. Cash out, refinance from Hall Financial. Call them at 866-CALL-HALL or chat with them online at callhallfirst.com. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into a cool guy? I was a little slow on the uptake there. No, you know what? I should have. I'm having jumped, a slow day. I should have jumped in there and told people. Well, we had kind of a heavy start today. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's I a, know, it's it's a heavy duty topic. It's an incredibly heavy topic, but it's, it's kind of fascinating, right? I mean, that this kind of shit goes on. It's, it's Well, Paul, who is is one of the most generous guys you'll ever meet, he's a generous supporter of the Clark Park hockey game, which we'll talk about later on in the show. Uh, Victory for the good guys this year for once. And um, he also helped start the Eastside Youth Sports Foundation. So your team lost? Sean, you are picking up the slack for Sean. It's Thank you. Thank it's, you. it's a lot of slack. Too easy. Too easy. But um, but he he does a lot for kids on the east side. They have sports programs there, getting kids to play hockey, all kinds of different uh, programs there at the East Side Youth Sports Foundation. So you should check those guys out. They make a lot of opportunities for kids right here to get involved in positive events. But what I should have said when we we wrapped up with with Hall and uh, and Luke is. You know, we don't want their involvement in this show to strictly be a donation. We encourage you to do business yeah. with them. Oh, and if, yeah. if you want to find links to their website, you can just go to our website, which is mlsoulofdetroit.com. Um, here's somebody who probably needs a donation. Sadly, it's a West Virginia journalist who lost her job after she reported about alleged abuse of people with disabilities within a state agency that runs West Virginia's foster care and psychiatric facilities. Amelia Farrell Neasy, or Knisley, she's a reporter at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, said she was told to stop reporting on the Department of Health and Human Resources after what? leaders of the embattled agency threatened to discredit the publicly funded oh, television and radio network. She, dies, she de- declined to desist and later found that her part-time position had been eliminated. Now... The, so her job got eliminated because she's reporting on child abuse. Yes, she works for a public television station, which is supported with state funds, and she's exposing wrongdoing in a and that's state far, agency. That's far worse, exposing wrongdoings. That's far worse than actual abuse. 
Yeah. What is going on in this world, man? It's 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 one of these things where uh you know, you do the right thing and, yeah. and people who are doing the wrong thing say you'll pay a price and uh I've heard threats like that before and and never paid the price. Um but here's someone who stood up and they kept their threat. So now everybody in West Virginia is kind of, oh, you know, we're not trying to do this and blah, 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 blah. And now they're saying that she was never fired and remains on the payroll and all that, even though she said her door key and her email were deactivated. Kind of sounds like when Kwame Kilpatrick said Gary Brown was not fired as the head of internal affairs, but all of a sudden they take his car keys and his ID card and everything like that. So yeah, yeah. kind of like when George Costanza was at Play Now, and they made him go in the basement. Oh, because he he wouldn't give up the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He lied about a disability. You know, a, a lot of people, everything comes back to Seinfeld. Yeah, a lot of people laugh at Seinfeld, but really, it is a it is a uh, sometimes painful insight into the human yeah, <laughs> the human is. drama. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So now they're uh, they, you know they're they're trying to cover their butts, but uh, but we won't be fooled. So the powerful people who are doing wrong in West Virginia, it's probably a pretty long list. Including her bosses. That's horseshit. Oh, yeah. I'm... If she worked for a private uh, media company, they wouldn't have stood up for that. They wouldn't mm. have compi- You don't think so? Mm. Are you saying you have examples here locally? I may have. <laughs> I actually may have a personal example. That might be why I brought it up. I think of, I'm thinking of it right now. But, uh, but yeah, no. So, uh, so those of you in West Virginia who uh, can't stand the truth. You're our Geek of the Week. So last week in Room 7609, we took a step out of the new wave age to the next wave, which some people consider Britpop, some people consider whatever, some people call it shoegazing. And we looked at Majesty Crush, which was a local band that did some pretty nice music. It was suggested to us by Mr. Magoo, who writes again with a little bit more information on a story that he didn't quite tell us the full story of. He hmm. says, I sincerely apologize for a serious oversight regarding the Majesty Crush tale. I guess research should be left to the experts. Dave Strauder, who was the lead singer, died a tragic death in 2017, Magoo tells us, after a bizarre mental health episode that involved a hatchet-wielding incident what? followed by a car chase and a police pit maneuver. Strauder was shot to death by a half-dozen officers. Magoo out. So uh, shoegazing huh. is such a nice, sort of sensual, lush, relaxing uh, genre. It's kind of wow, tough to hear it end like that. But but we're going to try and keep on the positive tip. And so was, here's Blur with "There's No Other Way."
Taking the fun out of everything, Sean, our thoughts and <laughs> prayers go out to you today. We hope you'll be back next week if you have not joined us on Zoom. No, okay. Next I don't week. think I don't know. Is he? I don't think uh, so. No, I think he would have. Uh, <laughs> we would have heard the snoring by now. <laughs> or maybe he zoomed in and he had to run to the bathroom already. <laughs> Keeping up with tradition, room seven six zero two, like clockwork. Or room seven six zero nine, also known as the the pause that refreshes. So. Mark, do you, are you familiar with Blur at all? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I like I like Blur a lot. I mean, the whole uh, Battle of Britpop. I'm an Oasis fan, which is the whole time that song's playing. I'm like, this isn't how, how is he going to relate this to New Wave? This isn't New Wave. Well, it's kind of post New Wave. It's <laughs> no, it's I feel like you're expanding, uh, the, which is fine. I have no problem with it. Well, one one of the reasons why I wanted to play them is because Blur uh, was fronted by Dave Albin, who you Damon. Damon, sorry, yeah. you probably don't know him, but you probably do know him if you've heard Gorillas, yep. because Love after him. Blur, he went on to start the world's foremost virtual band yeah. with a uh, a graphic artist, and they created the Gorillas, who are outstanding, chart topping, they're they're uh, groundbreaking, but Blur has reformed uh, and is touring, so you can go see them. So I thought this is a good chance to talk a little bit about a legendary band that's that's coming back. And, and if you've ever been to a sports arena, you know song two. The yeah. funny thing is yeah. there is no song one, so I don't yeah. know how they came up with song two. But yeah, that's the one that they, they'll play during breaks uh, to amp up the crowd. 
and um, and they're they're an interesting band because they blur themselves had sort of several flavors where they kind of chased the grunge sound for a little while, then they had the sort of the early atmospheric lusher sound that you hear in uh, "There's No Other Way," and and the the battle between them and Oasis. You know, there was they would try and release their singles to one up the other one, yep. and uh, and they I think when they released one of their their real big singles, Oasis erased uh, released theirs at the same time, and Blur topped Oasis, which yes. is kind of interesting to think about you now. People because, don't realize that that Blur was was far more popular in uh, England. Oh yeah, and but worldwide, Oasis sell, ended up selling more. And if you if you look back at that era, there are about four bands that were kind of similar in in this this competition, the Madchester movement. There was Suede, who I don't know that much about, that some people think was the best of all those bands, but Oasis is really the only one that has sort of transcended that early nineties mm-hmm. period and uh and they still I guess separately the the brothers gallagher tour yeah but uh but blur's a a great band a a great catalog and you can catch them live so i thought since mr magoo kind of dragged us into shoegazing and we do on a regular basis here from fans of new wave music who say let's let's get some shoegazing out there i thought let's that let's indulge that battle of uh, blur and oasis is interesting too because oasis is from manchester and blur i think is I think they're London, right? So it's this whole working class versus oh uh, the fancy north and pants south, yeah. And yeah. So there's a lot of cultural issues in England that we don't understand here in that battle, which is why they just hated each other. You know, one is more, um, you know, the the pop pompous kind of uh, highfalutin society, and the others, you know, lower brow. I don't know. It's just I always found that battle very very interesting. Well, it's like Morrissey says in. Our friends uh, hate it when we become successful, and when they're northern, it even makes it worse. There you go. Yeah. So it, it's sort of the the backwards of the north and the south in the United States, where people think of people from the north as being kind of sophisticated, and people from the south being a little behind. Yeah. In England, London's in the south, and that's the center of all sophistication. In the north, that's the the coal sooty. Uh, coal mining, sooty, steel mill stained folks who are just plunking away. But uh, so you're getting a lot closer to my stuff now that you're. What did, what did you call it? Post new wave. Yeah, I'm. I'm this, this, I mean, that was big when I was in high school. Blur, Oasis, in college. So. Oh yeah, and Lush and Lush. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, a lot of great bands. So mm-hmm. and and a lot of. I think Which, you know. a lot of uh, bands with women, um, where there certainly were new wave bands with with women fronting them, but you get more into like Transvision Vamp and some of this other stuff that kind of takes you into the uh, into the nineties uh, a little deeper before before grunge kind of took and then over. Out of that came two of my favorite bands, which is Verve, the Verve, okay, and Radiohead. And the Verve is not the same as the Verve pipe. No, 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 no. no. No, the Verve pipe is. Are you very? Are you versed guys, in the right? Verve? Yeah, Verve pipe is out of East Lansing. Yeah, um, in fact, it's Richard I, Ashcroft is the Verve, really. The um, the lead singer for the Verve pipe, his yes. mother was my brother's middle school Bloop. math teacher. I think. Wait, okay, wow, that's so, the way to. Yeah. Are you talking about Brian Vanderark? Yes, that's great him. guy, very 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 nice guy who does children uh, albums now. Well, and total bloop. When the free press decided are we, are to go this from, be an out blooping, yeah, no, out blooping segment. This, we're gonna we're gonna be wishing for Sean's. What's uh, we, yeah. we gotta get out of here, you know? Well, no, you know the show is, is flying along and is a lot shorter when he's not here. 
<laughs> we, we, we still we still miss him. I miss um, him dearly. I love that man. Let's Carlos, see. however, is like. Hey, let's why, see if he's on Zoom yet. Yeah, Carlos is like, no. why? Why did he get sick on their show? Why couldn't he get sick for our show? But um, but uh, uh, v- Brian Vanderark, when the Free Press changed the delivery model from seven days a week to three days a week, I think that's when it happened. But the publisher actually commissioned him to do a song for the Free Press and what. I can't remember what it was, but it was something like, you oh, know. Oh, we need to dig that up. Yeah, get the news and when you, when you have some news. I, it was, that always I, works, right? When I can't remember. A <laughs> new jingle like that, a new song. Yeah, it's like, uh, we're giving you less, but the cost's the same. We oh. spent some of the savings on this song. I it's never, lame. I never knew that. Yeah, so it was one of those oh, things that's where. embarrassing. Well, because part of the plan the free was, press. and I'm. I'm going to bloop myself. I'm going to bloop. <laughs> Gross. Part of the plan is when we go to, well, I, that's how I got to right. high school. But uh, when when we get to, um, and maybe the first month or two of college, but how we, how we got to uh, the three-day-a-week delivery was, at the same time, the publisher, who was a very forward-thinking guy, had invested some money in some Israeli company that was going to create affordable tablets so that if you had a three-day-a-week subscription, you could also get a free press tablet that would allow you to see the e-edition, which huh. was basically the PDF, like a more interactive PDF version of the newspaper. Yeah. And like a lot of these what things. What year is this? This was 2000, I don't know, seven, eight or nine, something oh. like that. And, you know, not all of it came together. So sure. in the end, what we got was three day a week and a song that... <laughs> That people remember just as much as they remember the the tablet plan, but it was it was kind of some very forward thinking stuff. In retrospect, they might have yeah. wanted to partner with like HP or Microsoft or somebody yeah. and make them produce the tablet since they kind of already do that. But uh, but anyway, oh, so that's interesting. Oh yeah, so I'm not good so, song choice. Not so bloopy after all. Well, but um, yeah, well, you are, but yeah. But I do want to challenge our our fans of new wave uh, for I don't know if we have enough time for February, but but let, let's see how we do. I was listening to uh, some music in the car with with my daughters the other day, and I heard something, and I said, "That's aha," and it turned out to be Pitbull. And then I heard another song, and I said, "That's the men without hats," and it turned out to be somebody else. If you have heard a new wave riff stolen or repurposed in some other genre of music, oh, well, yeah, please send us your nominations because uh, we would love to do a month. You should almost have two categories: one that is uh, P Diddy, and one is non P Diddy, because he sampled a lot of '80s songs. I don't know how many of them were new wave, but that was the magic of Puff Daddy's. Producing is sampling a bunch of great eighty songs that everybody loved. Oh, I'll, I'll do a P Diddy month. We could, in fact, we. Could I don't know do, how many of them are new wave, but yeah, he king of sampling eighties music. Well, find it because uh, you know I I think a hip hop sampling everybody, mm. but I don't think of too many people sampling new wave. So, so if you've heard something that just this got stuck in your ear, send us a note at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail dot com, and we will try and put together a theme month where we play some of those more current tunes that draw upon the great new wave legacy that is oh so rich. So, uh, so that's uh, Room 7609 for this week. Um, man, I love that organ that Blur puts in there, too. I yeah, think that was just, a great song. It sounds terrific. Um, uh, as far as donors, we have one donor this week, Bryant, once again, underwriting the show. We really <laughs> no, what we do appreciate that. Yeah, I know. I'm, just, if I'm 
kind of hoping the the guys from Nepal don't find out about Brian. They're going to have a hospital <laughs> and a couple of schools. So, uh, but we're happy. We're happy to share. Um, and then we we want to get to your your feedback. Uh, do we have our uh, our our own commission music? I mean, it's no Brian Vanderark, but uh, but this one has has survived the test of time. Of course, Max Prokop's uh, signature music bed, uh, Buzz Me Mellow. Is that, is that you actually got it correct? Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. Well done. Because I think we agreed that cool ass shit is better, but but so then I think it's buzz me cool, but it's no, it's mellow. Buzz me mellow. Um, you want me to start with the one you uh, handed me? It's up to you. Mine, mine. One is short and one is long. So however you want to go. Story of this podcast. Um, let's do the short one first. Okay. Let's me do, or you? Let's do the short. Uh, that's me. That's okay. me. Um. Jessica writes, can you say if the new CBS News Detroit reached out to you to lure you back into the 6 and 11 p.m. TV game? Uh, sadly, uh, I reached out to them when I was newly unemployed because the voters of the East Side decided they preferred my journalism to my, my public office holding and uh, exchanged messages with the new news director, but it never really went very far on either of our parts. But um, I think one of the things that was going against me is they were very familiar with my work on TV. So <laughs> last night was their first broadcast. I don't know if you caught that or not, Mark. I did but not. I wish I would have, though. It looked pretty good. The 6 p.m. news I saw. And uh, I, I will say... Man, that's a... That, oh, boy. that's It's going to be tough, though, right? Uh, well, and they want to go 24 hours with streaming. They're like a s- streaming news service that's going to have a broadcast element... But they do have the power of CBS behind them. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know a lot about this. Um, but I do know, as a viewer of a lot of television and a lot of streaming services, you know, they've had a push. And now you've seen other companies, because I've seen Fox has done this and ABC, where it's like our owned and operated uh, channels, which I believe 62 is owned they are. by CBS. Yeah, It's like, we want to stream these. We want to be local nationwide if that makes sense so if you're in california you can watch 62 detroit but they were one of the only owned and operated that didn't have a newscast so it was like we're gonna throw a lot of money at this and try to make it work yeah and a good uh, synopsis of it i think so and i i think if they are throwing money at it i wouldn't be surprised if sandra ali shows up there after she left local four the other day she said she'll be back on tv soon and i would think that's the only place that probably has a chair open for a marquee anchor or at least someone considered to be marquee so uh, so we will wait to see how that unfolds but they, they have they have money behind them that they have the um, the setup right the graphics setup all the tech stuff because it's all kind of uniform with the other local CBS they have a good news director from what I've heard yeah Paul Pitlawani is an incredibly talented photographer I don't know what he's like as a manager of other people but they have a couple of really good people from Fox 2 yeah. who moved over there. So there's a lot of talent behind the scenes. And the people I saw on TV seemed pretty good. Although their first sports uh, story, they took a story about a guy who, uh, the Belleville coach who got fired because of some, or got removed as the football coach because of some impropriety. And the sports, I guess he's a sports director, whatever they're calling him, yeah. put a spin on just like, it wasn't that he broke the rules. It's that he just cared too much. Okay. And then they come back and he's like, well, it's tough not to care too much about kids. So that 
there's yeah, a little bit of a little bit of cliche corn in there. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, higher personalities and let them be personalities. Yeah, and and I think I think there's there's probably more than caring too much with that coach when you have one of the most winning <laughs> yeah. uh, football programs in the state of Michigan and they take you away from coaching. That may be I just want to see a newscast do something different. I don't think you're going to see it here. They claim that one of the differences... Hudson's owned and operated by CBS. Right, but I mean, they're claiming that their reporters are going to be basically embedded in communities so that you aren't going to see, like, happens to every other TV reporter. Okay, we need you live from Harrison Township at 4 o'clock, and then at 5 o'clock, we need you in Rochester. It's like, no, that's not physically possible. Yeah. So we'll see how long that happens. But if, if they can do it a different way, CBS is one of the top-rated networks. Maybe there'll be some lead-ins that will support more, I think, sure. their 11 o'clock show than their 6 o'clock. But, uh, boy, you're going to try and... It's a tough go, man. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you, too, when you... So that was the short one. <laughs> um, did you do TV in other markets or just here? I would be like a pundit on... Uh, on, uh, in when I was in New Hampshire, but that was that was pretty much it. No, I I have absolutely, and this will not be revelatory to anyone who's seen me. I have no TV training whatsoever. Yeah, but that's what you know. What going back to being different, doing things, and letting personalities be personalities. Fox Two's heyday when you and and LaDuff and Brad Edwards were there. I mean, those are three really unique personalities that deliver news in a very different way, and that's what I, that's what I liked about it. You don't really see that much much around anymore. Well, and Andrea Isom, you know, yes, just just the way different. she said the edge, yeah. you know, set her apart. Yeah. Um, and I never had the pleasure of working with Brad. They they first approached me about replacing him, but I was looking for more time with my family, not less. And the edge means you work when your kids are actually home. Mm-hmm. Once they turned twenty, that would have been more appealing. But um, but uh, Andrea replaced him, and you know, was very distinctive. And and Randy Wimbley does a great job too. He's more of a straight ahead guy, but great reporter. Um, better human being too, but yeah, I, I thought when I when I contacted uh, the CBS thing, I wasn't sure I wanted to go back into that. They they were looking for an anchor who would be good on their feet and who was knowledgeable about the area. Mm. I don't I don't know a lot of the technical stuff about TV, but whenever there was like a hole and we had to tap dance, that's what I'm really good at. The traditional anchor shit, probably not the best reader in the world, but I know people, I know what's going on, and with the exception of the hour and a half that I abused the listeners of this show, I'm pretty good on my feet if I have to keep <laughs> well, something going. I was I was asking if you've worked in other markets because I got to think one of the um, intimidating things or one of the reasons I kind of want to watch this is to see, and this is so stupid and so local, but I want to see how they pronounce names of places because there's some tricky names in, in any area, in any major metropolitan area. Oh, yeah, and these, these folks, the, I think the the anchors are from Philadelphia. Most of them, yeah. Yeah, so that's, Philly's a lot different than Detroit, but, but the first show I watched at 6 o'clock. Oh, good for them. Looked pretty good. good. So we wish them well, and the more reporters there are out there, the better right. chance that we're going to have more news getting broken, which is really what we need because there are way more stories yep. than there are people to tell them. I can't believe that was the short uh, feedback. I made it longer, right? Well, I may be somewhat to blame. And then, of course, Sean... <laughs> Let's see if he's here yet. Nope. Um, okay. One of, his, this, one of his better performances. <laughs> this comes from Taylor, and Taylor writes in uh, occasionally. Does the University of Michigan email scandal give you deja vu hearkening back to Duggan's Make Your Date email scandal with his mistress's nonprofit, mistress, now wife, nonprofit getting swung $500,000 plus in grants? 
It sounds like Coach Weiss logged into an account and deleted evidence of a frivolous NCAA violation and or emails that the press could FOIA, maybe even involving a mistress. Yet that Duggan scandal faded pretty quickly. No charges and Benson's husband became a fat cat lobbyist. Oh, Taylor really pays attention. Meanwhile, Spartans demand a pound of flesh for this Weiss guy's email behavior. Fascinating how bread and circuses divert the mass attention away from the conduct of actual movers and shakers, which I don't think is anything new. That's always happened. The old look over here, not over here routine. Yeah, I get the bell ready. Um, Kilpatrick's people used to have this thing they called sand in the face. Hmm. It was a media strategy where when you would ask them about one thing, they would bring up something else. Yeah. So you'd say something like, so what's going on with that navigator? And they'd say, uh, you have a lot of handicapped parking tickets. Yeah, quit buying prostitutes. Like, yeah. Oh, perfect example. <laughs> perfect happened. example. That, that, yes. That was Steve, um, oh my Steve gosh, Wilson. Steve Wilson asking about the navigator. And Kilpatrick yelled back, quit buying prostitutes. Yeah, because Warren Public Television, or Warren Community Television, had tried to turn one of his stories about Warren officials going on a fishing trip into the Bahamas or someplace. Oh, that's yeah. He he was questioning whether they were sex tourists, and so when he went to ask them about it, they just had the uh, deputy mayor at the time just saying, "Quit buying prostitutes," because they were trying to make it sound. Yes, they were trying to make it sound like Steve Wilson was the one hiring prostitutes, and uh, and they Warren actually sent the DVD with that broadcast to the mayor of Detroit to give Steve Wilson a hard time, and of course. Mr. Kilpatrick was only too happy to accommodate them, as he often did make uh, powerful white guys in the suburbs happy. That was one of the things Mr. Kilpatrick doesn't like people to know about, but it's absolutely the truth. So, um, so okay, back to the question. Yeah, there's two things here Taylor's asking about um, that are kind of related, and I think I think most people don't pay attention to the whole make your date. Although they did for a while, but then it just kind of went poof. Yeah, it always that. It always kind of rubbed me the wrong way that whole that whole relationship with the emails, not necessarily the the, the money, right? Going towards make your date, it's but the, the classic, lies about the email, the cover up worse than the crime. Classic, the cover up is worse than the crime, and the inspector general uh, in Detroit, which is a fairly new position, I think got it right that uh, that really no public money was involved. The city did not give five hundred thousand dollars to Wayne State to run this make your date program. It's a program that we really do need because we do need to try and help uh, mothers uh, be healthier while they're pregnant and then help new mothers take care of their children, make sure they get the health care they deserve. But what the Detroit Inspector General found was that instead of making this program or this, this objective available to people to bid on and submit proposals and say, we got the best way to do this, the mayor just went to someone who he knew we now believe mm-hmm. intimately. I don't think he's ever said that they were kicking it before they got married, but I, I think he he Come knew on. he knew what like Bob Carmack he was getting into, yeah. so, so to speak. And uh, and that what the inspector general found was that really it's the appearance uh, the appearance of a conflict of interest, and that that this, like all public contracts, should have been made available to multiple uh, suitors to see if they had a better program, and then the city should have gone ahead, and Wayne State should have gone ahead and picked. The best one. Now, the emails that 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 Taylor's referring to is the mayor's chief of staff, Alexis Wiley, was accused and was admonished by the inspector general for advising people who were involved with uh, the Make Your Date program or with the the nonprofit 
part of the mayor's office, the people who solicit grants and donations from foundations and nonprofit to delete some of their emails. This was investigated by the inspector general. She found that it was improper. The city had a, its lawyer respond and say, no, no, that, that was not improper. The state attorney general investigated and in the end saw or determined that no laws were broken. So it really did seem like something where, where the mayor's office acted stupidly, was embarrassed, uh, was publicly admonished and, and, uh, and humiliated and moved on. And as far as I know, the program continues to this day. As far as what's going on with the offensive corner, I have no idea what he did. My first thought when I hear computer crimes and police are arresting is some sort of inappropriate sexual sure. stuff. You know, but, but, but quickly on. We videos, knew. emails, stalking, whatever. But we don't know. We knew the feds weren't involved, so we knew it wasn't that. And we knew that the complaint had come from within the university. Someone, I, it's it's really interesting that Taylor wrote some of the things that I had heard even second and third hand about, you know, these whole violation, recruiting violations. But why would the co-offensive coordinator be the person to do that? I don't understand any of it because if, I've heard people saying, well, maybe he's trying to find out about other recruits. Well, wait a minute. Why would somebody with it? I mean, no, he, he can only hack into, he was only email. Yeah. But he was only looking at Michigan stuff, right? He wasn't, how would he get into other programs, servers? And no, it doesn't make any I, sense. Believe me, I, I wouldn't me. think he would be, the, and I don't know anything about him, but I don't think he would be the guy that would have the wherewithal or be the fall guy to do something like that. Uh, it's, I mean, when you hear that he's breaking into that or trying to hack into someone else's email, it almost seems like he's trying to cover his own tracks. Right, because that's a pretty big risk of something else that he did. Now, if it's related to football, I don't know. Um, or if it's related to a personal thing, I don't know. But could it be that person? Why would they search his house? I mean, because maybe he brought a laptop home. Maybe he used his home computer to do it. I mean, the FBI when they do a search warrant, but it's they'll not take the FBI. The, the feds computers. are not involved at oh, all. Oh no, no but just, I'm just saying I, that that's what's weird about this whole that the searches that I'm familiar with, they will go to your home and they'll go to your office. Like when Bert yeah. Johnson got raided. They raided his home and took his computers, and then they raided his office in Lansing, and then they raided his storage space in Lansing and found there was nothing there. And they're like, wait a minute, this guy's a state senator. He's not doing any work. We thought we'd find something, but but I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate, but clearly whatever the university has learned about it is enough for them to feel that he should be gone. Yeah, there, I will but, say the university's uh, statement on it was pretty weak because, you know, they, they're not going to say anything that's going on. It's just they're hiding under the whole, well, in accordance with university uh, procedures, blah, 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 blah. He violated a university rule, blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, well, what about a crime? Is there a real crime here, and what was it? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty standard not to comment on a pending investigation, but it's also pretty standard not to can somebody until the investigation's That's pretty over. pretty quick, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, so then now now here come the football conspiracy theories, right? Because Harbaugh's old coordinator, Greg Roman, was fired the day before. Weiss was let go. It's like, what? what, what, what is going on here? Yeah. I, I think they'll be fine without him, and, you know, there was a certain radio person um, – when this whole story broke, that was apoplectic because no one at Michigan is ever held accountable. Well, now Weiss is out of his gig, so I hope that makes him happy. Yeah, I, you know, so maybe he's maybe maybe this is the diversion that Taylor was writing in the email. You know, like, hey, we fired this person, so don't worry about these, you know, these minor violations that the NCAA hands down to justify their existence. 
it seems to be dismissing them out of hand, but um, I... I uh, what, you like how I did that? Yeah, I, that's not going to go unremarked upon, but, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, hey, I, I don't know what happened. I'm very curious what happened, um, but um, but for me, you know, okay, so Spartans are glowing. Well, well certainly, I think there's a lot of Spartans who, who relish that there's chaos in Ann Arbor and that... that is there, though? That, is there that much chaos? Jim, is, J- Jim Harbaugh is the king of chaos. Okay, okay these, let me rephrase these, it. Is there any more chaos than usual in Ann Arbor? Fair point. Fair point. Well, I, I would say there is now because somebody's been fired, but um, but it just, it just kind of comes back to something that I've been bitching about all year, and that is Michigan pretends it's better than everybody else. Oh it's the God. same. I'm so sick of that narrative. And that, and that Harb, well, because your guys keep okay. putting it on the front page, and then Harbaugh wants everybody held accountable. Front page? What about the blue wall? I did. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. I love the blue wall, but um, but uh, Harbaugh wants everybody held accountable except himself, and I just, I just, As I does just every single college coach. Well, but he 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 bangs his shoe on the table more than than most, and so yeah. I will tell you what I relish, really? okay. which is that that my view of the world, um, current events have supported it, multi multiple times in multiple venues, and so I feel today indeed very smug. And I'm also happy that now I have the second highest paid football coach in Michigan instead of the highest paid. So that's kind of nice. But Well, whatever makes you happy. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I, that's I'm, what makes you happy, but okay. No, it's not that it makes me happy. Listen, I don't want I, I want this to be a good job. I want this to be a good rivalry, but this whole shit about we do everything the right way and these thugs need to be t- it's like, nah, 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 nah. let's let's check yourselves here, pal. You know, you're your shit's brown and stinky, just like everybody else's. Yeah, but some dumps are worse. And his is full of peanuts, but that's... It just means he's he's eating right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, where do we go from there? Boy, it's, maybe we need to... Wherever you want. But, um, so, uh, okay. So, I think we've covered that topic. Although, I will say... On the uh, on the world turning my way to justify my worldview, <laughs> did you notice that Michigan is making some changes to the tunnel for safety? No. What are they doing? They are going to remove some seats, and they're going to widen the entrance to the tunnel in response to incidents dating back to Ohio State in 2021, There's Penn no State in 2022. There. There's no incident. And then the assault. That's what... Uh, it's because of the assault. That's what the... Um, oh, you mean when those guys tried to take on 98 Spartans? Not wise. Not wise. But um, yeah, no, there was that was what the U of M uh, facilities people said that this was in response to some safety concerns that they've been aware of because of incidents in the tunnel in the last couple of years. So, if you believe the if you believe the Wolverines, they're concerned now. A little late, but so be it. Well, yeah, after they're assaulted multiple times. I mean, if I get assaulted somewhere, yeah, I'm going to make safety changes for my own sake. When are we going to get rid of that light bulb then when you come into the basement? Because I'm assaulted by that almost every time. Oh, I I, we, we could get a flush mount light there. but, uh, but uh, Is Sean with us yet? Nope. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, but I, I can hear him right now. He's like, wrap it up. Uh, last one. I'm afraid I'm ki- this comes from J, first initial. Don't trust anybody who uses initials. I'm afraid I'm confused. I said Morocco deserved more time than the mm. feds are recommending. Would you? Oh, sorry. That's my response to her. Um, so, so I am confused. Uh, Jay wrote me basically saying, um, I, I wrote over the weekend about how I thought the feds were going too easy on Anthony Morocco, who's the former Macomb County Public Works Commissioner, who on Thursday will be in court to uh, basically admit that he tried 
to extort some people, um, and because of his uh, and because of his extortion, um, he should only face up to sixteen um, months in prison for basically being Jeez. the kingpin of corruption in Macomb County, for being the prime target for the feds in a multi-year investigation into public corruption that's yielded dozens of of convictions, and he was charged with extortion. Uh, two counts of extortion, conspiracy to commit extortion, and attempted extortion. All of them have the same 20-year maximum sentence, but because when you, when you do the sentencing guidelines, they do a formula, the amount of money involved lowers how much time you're exposed to. And so Morocco's attorney, who's very good, Steve Fishman, and the feds agreed that he would plead only to attempted extortion attempting to gain $6,500, which means he won't get very much time at all, even though the feds believe he's the worst dude ever. And you can read all that in my column. I'll have a link on our website. But here's what Jan wrote me after that column appeared. Your Kid Glove articles relative to alleged Macomb corruption, I believe, continue to demonstrate the biases of how white and black alleged corruption is reported. Just can't help your whiteness, whether it is right or wrong. Now, I'm puzzled because Morocco's a white guy, and I said he should get way more time, and that even if the judge maxes him out in the 16 months, it's not enough punishment to fit the crime. And I have... I, 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 that doesn't sound like I'm going easy or using kid gloves. In fact, I'm calling out the feds, which doesn't feel like kid gloves. In fact, I'll make sure to get my taxes filed on time this year for <laughs> sure. And I've been pretty hard on the crooks in Macomb County. And I've reported before this guy was charged that, that there was trouble with the top out there. So I've been pretty hard on the white guys. I've been pretty hard on the black guys. I don't think of it that way. I think of it. I've been pretty hard on the bad guys. So I wrote back, I'm afraid I'm confused. I said, Morocco deserve more time than the feds are recommending. Would you please explain your statement, I have not heard anything back, but it just feels to me like another toxic situation where somebody is dragging race into it and confusing the matter, which is, is this guy going to be properly punished for yeah. some crimes that really did a lot of damage in Macomb County over the span of I 20 years? I feel like white-collar crimes aren't punished enough. No, and... I, I feel like they should... Anytime you see a major white collar crime it's always just a slap on the wrist because the people have really good lawyers and they have a lot of money to get around the, the only exception to that rule seems to be bernie madoff who what, got 150 years um i don't know it just drives me nuts but you look at people remember the whole um aunt becky sending the kids to college uh you know she would pay what five hundred thousand dollars to get her kids into college at usc do you remember that whole scandal yeah this is where the the kids were were supposed to be varsity athletes yes. and as athletes they got you know they got consideration that maybe their test scores and grades didn't didn't uh, merit the public uh, sentiment seemed to be that well she's just trying to get her kids in college like anybody else who would donate money to my, my whole point was but they didn't donate money to the university they used it as a tax dodge so yeah go after those people I, I thought there were a lot of people who were angry. And, and my Q-line column, I think one reason why people really responded to that is because they felt like the billionaires were telling us what to do and and then they found a way to get into our pockets. I do think when rich and powerful people finally get taken to task and it doesn't happen nearly enough, which is why, yeah. not to take us down a dog leg here, but 
the Republicans want to stop a lot of this spending that's going oh, the to the IRS. One of the reasons why is because if you're a rich guy, you can get away with anything with the IRS because you bring in a team of lawyers and you back them down and you tie it up for years. And so the IRS goes after you and me because when we go in there, we're just like, oh shit, I'll plead the stuff that I didn't do just because I can't afford a lawyer. I don't know where my yeah. tax stuff is. I just want to get out of here. You're going to let me plead for a fine instead of prison time. You know, no, the, the, the system is set up so the rich guys more often than not can just outrun it. And one of the reasons why they're trying to change the way the IRS operates is so that they have the resources to go after a lot of these big cats who just, you know, it's like trying to catch a squid. You get close, they blow ink in your face. You can't find them. They're gone and you got nothing. So, uh, so yeah, I, 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 I do think people were outraged about that college thing. I sure as hell was, but um, yeah. it's not like these kids didn't have enough advantages already. Jeez, oh, Pete. <laughs> so um, before we go, I wanted to share something that happened to me uh, the other day. I was taking a um, a training uh, exercise, uh, one of these things that you have to do in the, in uh, the business world. Occasionally, there'll be a, a training module. It can oh, be yeah. about uh, expenses. It can be about ethics. It can be about diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Harassment. It can, it can be, right, sexual uh, yeah. uh, conduct so the company, in the So the company covers their ass? Right. So I, I was taking this... I was taking this uh, training thing. They're all very good. They're all very enlightening. I, I highly sure. recommend them. Um, but I had to take a test before I could take the test. And this is this kind of really struck me because being a 55-year-old guy, uh, when people tell me, you know, they're out in the car, I expect there to be two people and it might just be one person. <laughs> and so I'm trying to catch up and now... Uh, you know, people who are born one way want to be referred to another way. And I tried to keep up and I, I kind of sure. feel like mm -hmm. I understand he, she, they, them, um, you know, I'm, no, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more complicated than all that. Uh, this personal demographic survey I had to fill out before I could take the test says you have to designate your race. You can do choose not to provide. You can do Asian. Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, Alaskan Native or American Indian or your tribal affiliation. Okay. It's pretty standard. White or Caucasian, African American or black. I've seen this before. Makes sense. They didn't have Latino or Hispanic in there or Latinx, which I sometimes see, but okay, whatever. So now we get to ethnicity. So now they're breaking it down. Arab American or Middle Eastern, Hispanic or Latino, Latinx. My ethnicity is not listed or choose not to provide. Because I think they consider Arab American, Middle Eastern, Hispanic, or Latin, X, Latino, a subset of white. White, yeah. So, okay. So there's a, so we've addressed that. Now, here's where I started to say. Oh, there's more? What's going more on? More subsets? Gender. Oh, okay. Select all that apply. <laughs> Brief definitions are courtesy of the gender and sexual blah, blah, blah center. So first there's agender. A gender identity term for individuals who often conceptualize their gender as not aligning with gender categories, having no other words that quite fit, and not caring about the project of gender altogether. Okay. Which gender, I think would be, a lot of people don't really care about the construct of gender altogether. Well, and the more you get into this, the more you're going to feel agender just because yeah. it'll save you a headache. Yeah. So there's gender nonconforming. A term that describes a person whose behavior or appearance does not conform to societal and cultural expectations of what is appropriate 
for their gender. Okay. <laughs> Queer gender. A gender identity term for people who conceptualize their gender as beyond existing outside of or something other. It cut off. Wow. Okay. Okay. Then there's man, a person who was assigns male, male, identified as male, was born male, also known as a cisgender man. So I guess I'm a cisgender man. Okay. Then there's transgender. A gender identity term for an individual whose gender identity does not match or is at some distance from their assigned sex at birth. For some folks, transgender or, and or trans are considered to be umbrella terms. Okay. okay. Transgender man. A man who is assigned female yeah, sure. or intersex at birth. So I guess was a woman is now a man. Mm. Transgender woman. A woman who is assigned male or intersex at birth. So How many are these total? We're not done yet. Oh, my God. Two-spirit. Oh, that's an, I haven't heard that one. A Native American term for people who blend the masculine and the feminine it is often used by contemporary LGBTQIA+. Native American people to describe themselves. Woman, a person who was assigned female or intersex at birth and identifies as a woman, also known as a cisgender woman. Enter your own identity. Oh, okay, that's fun. Or choose not Arrakian. to provide. So, so um, wait, that's all of them. Well, that's for gender. What about gender fluid and? Um... Well, now we have sexual Asexual. identity. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, because gender, what, they're the yeah. social constructs. So there's asexual. Cultural, yeah. This a is, sexual identity yeah. term for people who do not this feel sexual attraction, experience little sexual yeah. attraction to others, or do not feel desire for a sexual partner or partners. And I can just tell you, based on my dating experiences, <laughs> there's a lot more asexual people out there than you think, or I have that effect on people, <laughs> in which case I'm, I apologize. So that's oh. what you chose. No, I kept oh, going. Okay. Right. Uh, bisexual, a sexual identity term that most often refers to a person who is attracted to people of multiple genders. <laughs> Demisexual, a sexual identity term for people who feel sexual attraction only to people with whom they have on they have an emotional bond. Gay, a sexual identity term that most often refers to a person who is sexually attracted to a person of the same or a similar gender. Heterosexual straight. A sexual identity term that most often refers to men who are only sexually attracted to women and women who are only sexually attracted to men. I'm just kind of surprised that they have to define every single one. I mean, if you know what you are, then you would know the definition. Lesbian. A sexual identity term for women who are attracted to women. Pansexual. A sexual identity term that most often refers to a person who experiences sexual attraction to people of all and or many gender identities expressions. Queer. A reclaimed derogatory term that is used in different ways. A catch-all term for the LGBTQA plus community. A sexual identity term that is often characterized by the incorporation of fluidity and anti-normativity. Academic nomenclature to represent a prolific postmodern feminist theoretical project centered on sexuality and gender. And then it says, not reclaimed by everyone. Enter your own identity. (laughs) Choose not to provide. Okay, I feel like there's a lot of overlapping on some of those, but all right. It's getting complicated out there. I I just encourage everybody to love who you love, accept everybody for who they are, and whatever box you check out It's a lot simpler that way, isn't it? God bless you. Yeah. And if we get it wrong, 
Don't be mad at us. Please be patient with yeah, us. We're, we're trying. It's a little different. We're, we're trying. We don't want to disrespect anybody. We just want to get it right. And uh, Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I just realized there's a lot. There's people out there. Maybe this is my cisgender, straight, white male privilege. That there's a lot of people out there that think about sexuality and gender a lot more than I do. Yeah. I mean, um, not, not just regarding themselves, but regarding other people. I just don't think about it that much. I don't know. No, I, hey, Whatever. listen, I. That's I, not what makes a person to me. I, I've been in the same relationship for 30 years, so I guess I'm kind of, you know, on the sidelines here. But uh, but to those of you who are still out there, best of luck. It's it's a confusing world out there. So um, so I, th- I think. Uh, so what'd you choose? Uh, define your own. I'm a cisgender male. Let me see. I, I, in fact, I'm. I'm. Why don't you uh, just define your own? Make make a new one. And yeah, then no. And then it'll be on the the list for the next person who has to fill it out. I'm. I'm. Uh, I, well, I think these lists are only going to get longer. That's what I mean. Keep yeah. adding them. Keep adding new definitions. No, I'm. I'm a. I'm a European honky cisgender male who is. Yeah, that's, that's offensive. Who's straight? It's offensive. And uh, and I. I guess that makes me pretty boring, but. But easy to categorize. Wow. So, so on that note, I can't wait till uh, off the air. You can tell me what this was for. Oh no, it's it, no, it's, it, it's it's it's. I think this is a really good exercise, but it just made me feel who often feels overwhelmed with all these terms. Yeah, that's the point. I'm way further behind than I ever thought I was. So I don't understand why they have to define everyone. Because if you're that, then you know you're that, right? I don't but, think you. I don't think you wait till you're filling out a form to decide what your gender or sexuality is. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think people know, and I—that's what I mean. You're not going to sit down and go, "Oh, wait, I'm not that. I'm this one." Well, as the uh, as the choose your own, uh, as, as they start to compile responses of that, this list probably will get longer. I didn't oh, see yeah. furries on here. I didn't Furry. see um, a bunch of other stuff. So, so um, I don't right. know. Well, good. But as is Sean here yet? Nope. No, no he's he's. he's uh, he suffers from a tension um, <laughs> deficit, but um, but as as Tiny Tim said so well so long ago, God bless us, everyone. And Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? And thus was closed another case in the files of the soul of Detroit. Files that are as full as they are. Because last year, there were almost one and a half million major crimes committed in this country. No human mind is equipped to understand the gigantic proportions of one and a half million major crimes. So perhaps it would be helpful to break that figure down. To tell you that since this program went on the air, in that period of less than a half hour, there have been 74 major crimes committed by Sean Windsor. 74 more jobs for your local police, your state law enforcement officers, and for your FBI. 